Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Caitlin Clinton talks about gun violence and trauma, emotional labor and writing program administration, crisis management and response, trauma-informed pedagogy, and technology. Caitlin Clinton is an assistant, soon to be associate professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where she directs the first year writing program. She researches how writing instructors and writing program administrators can create effective learning environments for students given changing social and educational context. Dr. Clinton's most recent research focuses on trauma-informed pedagogy and writing programs in classrooms. Her work has been published in Computers and Composition, Composition Studies, Communications and Information Literacy, WPA, Writing Program Administration, and several edited collections, including most recently, The Things We Carry, Strategies for Recognizing and Negotiating Emotional Labor and Writing Program Administration. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us. You're a WPA, Writing Program Administrator, at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. You recently published an article in the journal WPA called In the Event of an Emergency, Crisis Management for WPAs. You also have a chapter in the co-edited collection, The Things We Carry, on the emotional labor of WPAs. Can you talk more about this research on trauma and responding to crisis and the emotional labor of writing program administration? And then maybe you could also share what you were discovering and learning as a WPA about crisis management and response and what that means for supporting teachers. Yeah, well, and thanks so much for this question and for the opportunity to talk about this work. Uh, unfortunately, it's my my research interest in crisis and trauma is so relevant now. Uh, I really wish it weren't so relevant, uh, but I would also say that it's trauma and crisis have been relevant for a long time. We just necess- haven't necessarily recognized it as such or we would recognize it on an individual student basis. And we hadn't considered about the actual structures and how many students, faculty and staff were affected uh, by trauma and crisis uh, within our classroom and our writing programs. So just to start a little bit maybe with how I got into this work because it's not what you go into grad school wanting to write about, or at least I definitely didn't. I started working at UNLV in July 2017. I was a brand new WPA, brand new, uh, you know, assistant professor, jumping into leading a very large writing program. And my first responsibility was uh, training our 25 uh, new graduate teaching assistants to prepare them for the classroom one week later. Uh, and I distinctly remember, as a little bit of foreshadowing, a during our orientation, um, a new GTA asked me what to do if there was a shooting on campus. And I didn't have a great answer for them. Uh, I was brand new to the campus. Like, I didn't know the policies, the procedures, or the resources that existed. And all of that is so institutionally specific. Instead, I tried to make them feel better about their anxiety about going into the classroom, because that's, to me, what it, it was. They were worried about going into the classroom and they're worried about the what ifs. Um, And so I told them my story uh, as a way to try to make them feel better. I told them that I'm from Newtown, Connecticut, 
which is now most famously known as a mass shooting as an, at an elementary school. I did my graduate work, uh, my master's at Virginia Tech, and although I wasn't there during the shooting, I was there a few years later, and that really colored how I, my professional life. Like I learned to teach at Virginia Tech in the shadow of this mass shooting. Uh, and then at every single institution where I have taught or learned, I have been in a lockdown for a gun violence situation on campus. Uh, so the presence of violence in educational settings has always been a part of my professional life and education. So what I told that student was, this has been my experience, but uh, it is unlikely to happen to you. And so there's a little bit of ironic foreshadowing for you. Uh, because two months later, on October 1st, uh, there was a mass shooting on the Las Vegas Strip, the one October shooting, which up until today uh, has been the largest mass shooting um, in the United States. So that happened. And all of a sudden, I'm a brand new WPA at an institution that I don't really know. I'm trying to coordinate a very large writing program that was filled with you know, 5,000 undergraduate students, uh, about 100 graduate teaching assistants and about 50 to 75 part-time instructors who were all directly or indirectly affected uh, in different ways. And they had lots of feelings and lots of questions uh, and there were not a lot of answers. And I was also experiencing my own reaction, which at the time I didn't know, but I have since been diagnosed with PTSD from gun violence because of my you know, previous experiences. So it was like this confluence of terrible things that had been happening. And there were lots of questions about you know, where are our students? Do I have to get in touch with them? Uh, where are our faculty? How do we get in touch with, you know, all of our, our faculty who are teaching for us? Uh, what are we doing about students who have, you know, been affected, you know, who might be hospitalized, who might be working extra because they work. Uh, I had a student that semester who worked in the Las Vegas morgue. Uh, and it wasn't just like the immediate effect on October 2nd. It was how do these, how has this experience, like it, it, it's continuing even today. We're still dealing with the the repercussions of that that shooting. And so as a WPA, you know, I was looking to our institutional guidance and I wasn't getting a lot of it because I don't think anybody really knew how to respond to it. And so I found myself responding and doing a lot of emotional labor to uh, try to allay some of the fears that our faculty and our students had, uh, trying to come up with, you know, curriculum and programmatic adjustments, uh, because that was during, it was coming up on midterms. And so uh, we were coming up on major deadlines. And so telling instructors to extend deadlines, like, here's how you can rearrange your course. Here's, you know, a script for how to return to class because you might not have held class the day after or even that week, but then how do you go back to class recognizing this thing that happened and has affected so many people, but in a variety of ways, because you might have a student in your class who did lose somebody that night or is a, a first responder and has been working extra, uh, but you also might have a student who they're not from Las Vegas. They don't have any connection to this. It's something tragic that happened, but it hasn't directly impacted them. So that was kind of the work that I found myself having to do. And it was the work that I had no preparation to do. I had some preparation because I had experienced similar situations, unfortunately, before. Um, and I think that that also made me more empathetic to what uh, our instructors were feeling and anticipating what they were feeling, what our students might be feeling. But in my WPA seminars in grad school, in my previous WPA experience as a grad student, I never had to think about how do you respond to a mass shooting? And we were just really fortunate that it didn't happen on our campus and had, you know, 
it was a local event that had direct impact, but it didn't directly uh, affect us in the same way. And so this really showed me that as WPAs, we're, we're constantly talking about how we're responding to crisis. You know, there's a budget crisis, there's a scheduling crisis, like we throw around the term crisis a lot because, uh, you know, we are dealing with often people's livelihoods, like their economic factors, their student learning, there are a lot of high pressure concerns, but then you have like a real crisis that happens and you definitely don't, you might have prepared for a budget crisis before, but you haven't prepared probably for something that is a large scale crisis, like a mass shooting or a pandemic that goes on for two years. Uh, So we don't have preparation for this work practically or emotionally. And so I saw a gap there and that was the gap that I didn't want anybody else to ever have to experience. So my work up until this point has really been on uh, making visible the work that we were already doing as WPAs to manage crisis. Unfortunately, mass shootings are fairly common. And so there have been a lot of WPAs who have been tangential to them, like in their community or they've happened on their campus. And so WPAs have had to individually kind of come up with those resources and figure out how their programs are going to respond to that, probably for good reason, probably because of the the trauma, the PTSD, just like the emotional work that goes into that. There weren't that many uh, national level conversations that I was able to find about that. I did talk to several WPAs who, you know, sent me scripts, you know, from there uh, when something happened similar to them. Uh, but I didn't find that there was like a an easily findable online resource that I could go to because obviously as an academic my first response was how do I research this you know where where's the resource for this and there wasn't one so I've been working to try and make visible this labor and articulating the kinds of labor that are involved in this there's the practical labor there's 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 the administrative labor but then there's also the emotional labor of it so I have a piece in the um, edited collection the things we carry uh, where I talk about the emotional labor of crisis response, how as a writing program administrator, you are, you know, responding on behalf of the institution, Uh, you are expected to keep calm, cool, collected, direct people to resources, uh, while you're also experiencing the the same situation yourself or a different situation. You know, my situation responding to the one October shooting was compounded by the fact that I had, you know, PTSD, uh, undiagnosed PTSD at the time from other gun violence situations. And I was a brand new WPA and, and tenure track faculty member. Like I felt like my, this was a defining moment of how I was going to be effective in my role two months into my role. So it, it felt like the stakes were even higher because of that. So recognizing that emotional labor and like the vulnerability of that position. Uh, and then the most recent piece in WPA is fairly pragmatic. It, it is the, the piece that I wanted, uh, you know, on October 2nd. Uh, to find out how I could have anticipated, prepared for, and recovered from crises that affect the writing program. So with with that piece, like I do offer uh, online, there's a a template that folks can use to create their own crisis management plan. And when I'm talking about crisis management, it's not just something happened and now I have to respond to it, but ideally crisis management is something that we are proactively thinking about where preparing for, we're trying to prevent what we can, uh, then we are responding when something does happen uh, and recovering over a period of time. So it involves, you know, kind of thinking about the what ifs, what are the things that could happen in this writing program? Uh, 
Uh, are there ways that we can prevent them? A lot of times with writing program crises, we can't really prevent these crises uh, from happening, but are there things that we can do to prepare, like offer professional development to our instructors about the policies and procedures around different sort of events that might happen on campus, like uh, a public safety concern, uh, if there is a a fire, a hurricane, uh, you know, how do we get that information to our, our faculty and staff and then out to our students? Who do we need to communicate to? When do we need to communicate with, with them? How often? Who else at the institution am I supposed to be communicating with? What are those chains of command? Trying to make it as easy as possible uh, for the WPA or for any administrators um, to then respond so that you're taking some of that practical administrative labor off of your plate at a time when you're also going through whatever the, the crisis is. Uh, and then thinking about longer term recovery because it's not just that incident, it's going back to the classroom after the hurricane happens and your students are still displaced. Your faculty might still uh, not have running water, electricity, food at home. Uh, how do you continue to teach under those conditions and knowing that it's not going to go back to the way it was before that crisis happened, but how do we adjust our expectations for the, this class the rest of this semester? How do we move forward and how, what is our long-term recovery goals? I'm thinking about what this trauma-informed practice looks like in the classroom. So you talked about questions WPAs might proactively consider when it comes to crisis management. And now I'm thinking about classroom teachers working with students after tragedies. Can you talk about what trauma-informed pedagogy looks like and maybe how this approach complements other pedagogical goals and values in writing studies? Yeah, so I think that trauma-informed pedagogy really overlaps with other commitments that I have as an instructor um, and that I think are, you know, more common in the field now. And those are commitments to anti-racist, culturally sustaining and accessible pedagogies. Uh, I think they all complement each other and adding in that, that attention to trauma also creates a more hospitable environment for each student to feel safe, recognized and empowered in the classroom. And I think that that feeling is fundamental to, to learning. Uh, so we can't ignore, for example, like the fact that education, schools and colleges have been a site of trauma for, for many groups and individuals. We don't want our classrooms to exacerbate existing traumas uh, or perpetuate new traumas. So as a trauma-informed uh, instructor who is also thinking about anti-racism, accessibility, uh, and being culturally sustaining, I'm very conscious of what my curriculum, what my classroom looks like. Uh, what my assessment looks like. So thinking about whose voices are represented in the curriculum, how are those voices represented? How am I creating a classroom environment where students are being encouraged to, where they're encouraged to be engaged in the many forms that engagement takes, as opposed to being penalized uh, for not showing up uh, or for not being engaged in the way that I think that they need to be engaged. Uh, and a lot of times that supposed lack of engagement is due to factors outside of the student's control. How are student writers uh, empowered to make the classroom their own and to achieve their goals for their education? How are they able to express their ideas in 
as many ways as possible? And then how am I assessing their writing in a way that is validating and constructive as opposed to doing more harm? So for me, it's always about recognizing the human element of teaching and learning and trying to provide as much opportunity for students to succeed and giving them the grace to help them overcome whatever challenges that they have going on. Uh, So this has always been my pedagogical philosophy, but since March, 2020, I've said that this has been a programmatic uh, policy. Like this is a programmatic imperative. So some of the ways that I've started to do this uh, trauma-informed pedagogy is, uh, you know, I've done, I've started to use contract grading or a form of it. Uh, I've eliminated our programmatic attendance policy, which had been previously incredibly punitive. And we got rid of that before the pandemic happened we want students to learn. We want students to come to our class. I would rather a student be in my class once every few weeks than never at all. You know, I don't want to penalize them. Uh, I want to invite them into the class and to, you know, try to figure out what's going on with them. Um, And just in general, I think I've really let go of the ideas about what it is that I am supposed to teach or what students are supposed to do and to try to just be present with the writers and the teachers in my classes to figure out what they need and want and trying to create an environment where they can do that. I think that's something relatively simple that um, pretty much any instructor can do is to learn about the resources that are available to their students on campus and in their local community. Uh, And I've created for our writing program, just a one page handout that we've now included in all of our campus shells. And it's in, we make it fairly available to our, our, our students. Um, and it lists all of the resources that they have available to them, like if they need emergency funding, uh, if they need access to the, the food pantry on campus, uh, if they're dealing with housing insecurity, here's the, the email, here's like a little description of what this is. Uh, if you are you know, dealing with uh, sexual assault or anything, like compiling all those resources for them in a one page document. And for our instructors, we've actually made a a separate page document as well uh, that has resources for what to do if a student, uh, you know, discloses that they're going to, you know, self-harm. And so we've added all of those resources and put them in all of our grad student and uh, part-time instructor cubicles. For a lot of, uh, you know, writing instructors, uh, they feel very disconnected from the larger institution because they might be new graduate students, they you know aren't as plugged in, or they're part-time instructors who for a variety of reasons have been held at arm's length from the institution. Um, and so kind of as a writing program administrator, compiling those resources for your instructors uh, helps them help students more. As a instructor yourself, then you also become aware of the resources and feel better equipped to have some of these really challenging conversations with students who are very likely to disclose to you because you're the only faculty member who knows their name. Caitlin, your teaching and research interests also include digital media and technology. Do you see intersections between writing program administration and technology, especially in relation to crisis management and trauma? So I think that technology, it does have this two sides to it. On the one hand, it has allowed us to to remain connected, even as we are socially distanced. And at the same time, that connection has led to a sense of normalcy, like continuing in the face of great adversity, even just because we can continue doesn't mean that we necessarily should have like a a maintenance of the idea that we can still pretend that everything is normal because now we're meeting on Zoom 
uh, classes don't need to, classes can continue without an understanding that that fundamental context for what makes education effective has changed. Like students and faculty do not feel secure. They do not feel safe. Uh, they are more stressed and anxious than ever. And so rather than taking that pause and saying, how do we reevaluate everything uh, in the face of this unprecedented situation, instead we said, well, we can move it online and everything's fine. So I think that the, the connection part has been great, but it has also illuminated the digital divide that I think a lot of people thought had gone away. Uh, because, you know, in March 2020, when we all went online, then we, we very quickly saw which students and which faculty had access to technology, who had uh, the privilege to have a personal computer or device at their home, who had a space where they could, you know, access their, their Zoom classroom, who, you know, felt secure enough to turn on their camera. Uh, who had a webcam and even just basic uh, digital literacy skills as, as well. Like who could figure out how to navigate uh, with very little instruction, uh, putting all of your courses online uh, or now having to be a completely online student when you knew before that that didn't work for you. And that's why you never took online classes. So I think it, it definitely accentuated the digital divide, but then also I think probably the most harmful Thing has been this just continuation of this facade that everything is normal because we can just move it online. And I'm not saying that remote education has been, you know, bad. You know, there have been a lot of bad hot takes. It, it's such a complicated issue uh, that has so much power and in, in inequities that are contained within this complex situation. Uh, but I do think that it probably exacerbated some of the, the burnout and the overworking conditions that were already inherent in our jobs and in the way that education was structured. Uh, but it allowed folks to say, well, you're, you're, you're working at home, it's fine. You know, things should be easier. So it was almost like disingenuous. <laughs> this idea of returning to normalcy as quickly as possible uh, but normalcy for what purpose? Because was the idea that we wanted students to learn as much as possible, or was the idea that we just didn't want to lose funding for students dropping out? And that's really cynical of me, but at least over the past two years, it seems like a lot of the decisions that I've seen made at you know upper administrative levels are not about student wellness or student learning or faculty wellness and you know faculty workload. It's about just maintaining as many students as possible without with concern about what they're learning as a secondary and much less valued concern. Thanks, Caitlin. And thank you, pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.